welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me. But I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earth Water is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide. It has over 70 antioxidants and minerals. It's good. Trust me. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? Who doesn't? So if so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle southern-sense.com. Who doesn't want to make some easy money? You'll earn a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. How easier can that be? Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom, you just earned an easy 10% commission. Sign up now. Buy at least a case. And let me know what you think just by going to my webpage. That's the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. All right. And you're here listening live to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, the Fix FM, out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, Put a dash in the middle, as I said before, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with the effervescent and ever so lovely Kel Fritzy of Red Fox Radio and Global Patriot Radio, the one, the only Kel. Hey, Annie. How's my girl? How you doing? Hey, do you want to hear some news? I got news. I've got news. What? Canada's yeah. pregnant again. Oh, no. Yeah, this time we're giving birth to a bunch of Syrians. Yeah, we're uh, taking in the white helmets now. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I see that. Oh, uh, I see that the the shiny pony, <laughs> your Trudeau, is 
putting up illegal aliens into hotel rooms. Rich Carlton, open your doors, courtesy of the Canadian tax dollar. And next we're going to hear for a fence on the northern wall. It never ends here. It, it, it's oh, just going crazy up, up here. <laughs> oh, man. And you guys elected him. We didn't. <laughs> we got rid of Obama. You know, oh, Annie, it's going to uh, get even worse uh, as we head into election mode. Uh, we have no conservative uh, leader to be found. Andrew Shearer, he's the uh, federal leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He is just absolutely useless. Uh, nowhere to be found. Uh, as you know, last week we had the uh, the uh, uh, Toronto Danforth uh, mass shooting. It was an Islamic attack. And uh, the media, they're falling all over themselves to uh, blame it on mental illness. And uh, we're we're really getting angry about that, and uh, people with mental illness are now speaking out. And I've been uh, covering that on the RFB shows, like, knock it off. This guy was a trained a terrorist from uh, Pakistan who traveled to Afghanistan. And nobody's talking about it. I don't even know what Andrew Scheer uh, has to say on it. Like, he's v- very weak. Like, so Canada's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, well... You've got our shoulder to cry on. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, Kel. There's so much we to do. do. And we've got some great guests today. We've been starting off with Latanya Peterson, who's running for school board down in Clay County, Florida. Local issues matter. Even though this is a nationwide and actually a worldwide broadcast that we do, we have people listening in from not just from your area of Canada, but we have from the Caribbean, South America, believe not, China and Russia and throughout Europe and in, in certain places in Africa. We have listeners worldwide, and I thank these people for supporting this show. Um, but local issues do matter. So we're going to have Latanya Peterson with us on the first part of the show. And on the second part, we have uh, a woman named Soroya Dean. Uh, she is a she is the founder of the Peace Bombs and Muslim Christian Interfaith Organization. She wrote a book called Peace Matters, Raising Peace Conscious Children. And we are going to be speaking with her at, and asking her if moderate Muslims can exist under Islam. Uh, with that, we're going to counter her with our friend, Pastor Usama Datuk, who uh, runs the Straightway of Grace Ministry, and he travels all throughout the U.S. and Canada spreading God's word. So it's going to be a very interesting second half of the show. I'm Actually, both halves are going to be very interesting. And the ironic part, as I was discussing with you, Cal, earlier, is that here where I live in my local county, we have a major school board race going up. Out of the 13 seats there, 11 are open. I'm sorry, uh, seven of the 11 seats are open for re-election this November, and we have 13 individuals running for those seven seats. So I've been putting together a survey on behalf of my local Tea Party to find out how they stand on certain issues, such as, you know, the budget itself, whether that should be audited, pouring more money into the classroom rather than into administration. All these issues are out there, and what they're teaching in the classroom. So as I'm doing putting together this survey, it is so great that I'm going to have her here because I can run some of those questions past her and see what the future of our children of this nation are. It's going to be a fantastic show. That said, Kel, um, 
people know Curtis is visiting family, so he's not with us today. He will be with us. So mm-hmm. Kel Fritzy is graciously sitting in for him. And I had her and Cool Mike as co-hosts at one point, and I see Cool Mike sitting up in the studio. So yeah, he's to join I see Cool Mike, too, in the studio. Yeah. And, Annie, it's my <laughs> honor and my pleasure to uh, sit with you, always. Well, those that listen to the show know, Kel, um, that I always started out with a dedication to a fallen hero. Yeah. And today's dedication is going to be going out to Staff Sergeant Emil Rivera Lopez. And he was killed on August 20th of last year while serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. And I always try to put my heart and soul into these dedications. And once in a while, I come across an individual that there's very, very little written about. And unfortunately, Staff Sergeant Emil Rivera Lopez does not seem to have very many people remembering him. There was no massive funeral Uh, There was no massive memorials for this gentleman. So I just hope that somewhere out there, someone who knows him, someone who may be a family member, hears this broadcast and this dedication to him. And this is from the Military Times. Staff Sergeant Emil Rivera Lopez died August 25, 2017, serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. He was 31 from San Juan, Puerto Rico, when the Black Hawk helicopter on August 25th that he was on crashed about 20 miles off the coast of Yemen during a training mission in support of the U.S. Central Command. Five other service members on board the helicopter were rescued. Rivera Lopez, who was assigned to 160th Special Operations Regiment, had been missing since the helicopter he was on crashed. Since then, he has been declared dead. Staff Sergeant Emil Rivera Lopez, the Defense Department announced in a statement that he was previously listed as duty status whereabouts unknown. On August 25th of 2017, Rivera Lopez and five other service members were on board the Black Hawk helicopter when it crashed. The incident happened during a training mission. Rivera Lopez of San Juan, Puerto Rico, joined the Army in July of 2006 as a UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter repairer. After training, Rivera Lopez served in the 82nd Combat Aviation Brigade before completing the requirements to become a member of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Upon arriving at the regiment, Rivera Lopez served as an MH-60 maintainer and squad leader in D Company 3rd Battalion, 160th SOAR. He later was assigned to Battalion C Company, where he was a section sergeant and Black Hawk crew chief, according to information at USA SOC. His award and decorations include the Air Medal, number two, Army Commendation Medal with Valor, Army Commendation Medal, Army Achievement Medal, two Oak Leaf Clusters, Joint Meritorious Unit Award, the Afghanistan Campaign Medal, three Bronze Service Stars, the Combat Action Badge, Aviation Badge, and Parachutist Badge. That's all we know of Sergeant Rivera Lopez. There's no mention of family. There's no mention of a spouse. There's no mention of children or parents. So today's dedication 
is a little bit different than normal. So from the honor page that has been posted, we read that was posted from Six Gun. Rest in peace, warrior. Gravity, cruel mistress. Also from that page, posted by Agonia. Lest we forget, born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Rivera Lopez enlisted in the Army in July 2006 as a Black Hawk helicopter repairer, serving with the units in the 82nd Airborne Division's Combat Aviation Brigade, including Medevac, until May of 2013. According to a biography provided by Lieutenant Colonel Robert Bachholt, a Special Operations Command spokesman, Rivera Lopez joined the Night Stalkers in July of 2013. First, as a Black Hawk maintainer and squad leader, and later as a section sergeant and crew chief. We offer our condolences to the family and friends of Staff Sergeant Rivera Lopez, as we all mourn his loss today, Balcolt said. We are working closely with his family and will keep them in our prayers. The Aviation Regiment Savannah, Georgia-based 3rd Battalion held a memorial ceremony to honor Rivera Lopez as Hunter Air Army Airfield, according to a Facebook post by the Night Stalker Association's local chapter. In addition to Rivera Lopez, five other soldiers were on the Black Hawk when it crashed about 20 miles off Yemen's coast during a training flight. The other five soldiers were rescued by nearby ships. Lieutenant Colonel John J. Thomas, spokesman for the Central Command, told the Washington Post, Thomas told the Post that the Black Hawk was conducting a hoist training when it was just feet above the water when it lost power and went into the water, quickly rolling over. The cause of the crash is under investigation. And finally, Remington Raider posted, Lord, guide and guard and guide the men who fly through the great spaces in the sky. Be with them always in the air, in darkening storms and sunlight fair. Oh, hear us when we lift our prayer for those in peril in the air. Today's show is dedicated to Staff Sergeant Emil Rivera Lopez. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of our nation through today and into the future. We also dedicate it also to the first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or first responders. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one of them.
Show.com. Check it out. You're here listening to Seven Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star, Daily News. Oh, my goodness. Just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. We're all over the place. Oh, man. Um, Cal, we've got our guest on the line, so let's bring the victim in for <laughs> the torture. Oh, man. And he's dead. Let's welcome <laughs> Latanya Peterson, who's running for school board out of Clay County, Florida. Welcome back, Latanya. I is always so much fun to have you on the show. Oh, oh and thank I have to say hello me. to oh, oh, Miss Latanya. It is, is always an honor and a pleasure to hear your voice. We have spoken in the past. I'm Kel Fritzy. I'm just so thrilled that you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, it, it's funny. As I was starting to put the notes together, and Curtis told me he wasn't going to be here, I'm going, all right, what am I going to ask you? What am I going to do? How am I going to make this interesting? And you know what, Boeing, the good Lord has a way of hitting me over the head sometimes. Sometimes he needs a brick to do it or a rolling pin. But, you know, we have here in my local county, we've got seven out of the uh, 11 seats in the school board up for reelection this November. And out of those seven seats, we have 13 different individuals running for those seats. And for my tea party, I started putting together a questionnaire. And I reached, 
excuse me, I reached out to uh, members of my Tea Party, and I said, well, send me questions that you think we should be asking. And it actually ended up involving our local county GOP, which I'm the legislative chair for the local GOP here. And they started sending me questions, too. So I ended up piling all these questions together, and I'm putting together for my Tea Party for my school board, and I'm going, dummy Annie. Just use those questions with LaDonia. That's a word at your show right there. So be prepared. I've got some great questions for you, and I'm sure Kel is going to have some also. Oh, man. It's it's just how stupid could I be? I'm sitting here. I'm just sitting there for about half an hour looking at a blank piece of paper, and I go, you've got the answers right here. So are you ready? Are you strapped in, LaDonia? I am. I'm ready. All right. Well, these some of these are questions I had put together. Some of them are questions from people that sent them in. And I'll end up probably uh, uh, condensing them later on tonight into about 10 questions. But the first one is there is what has motivated you to run for a seat in the school board? Because people don't pay attention to a school board. You know, if you're someone like me that doesn't have children, I was never blessed with that. You just pay your taxes and you just go on your merry own little way. Why are you running, and why should we care? So I'm running as an educator and a parent and a leader. And so as a parent, I want to have a choice in, you know, making decisions for my my children and other people's children from the educator perspective. And from the leadership perspective, even though you don't have children, you are paying taxes, as you mentioned. And so we currently have in Clay County a proposal from our current school board members to do a mill increase. And the mill increase, you know, with the heightened sensitivity to the parkland shooting um, is supposed to address the issue with um, security officers or police officers at every school. And they also put in the mill increase that they wanted to use the rest of the funds as operational funds. Well, as a conservative, I have a problem with that. Um, being fiscal responsible means that we need to identify where every dollar is going to, and operational funds is just too vague. So as a person who doesn't have someone in the school district, such as yourself, and there are many others that are just like that in Clay County, I get that when I knock on the doors. They're like, well, I don't have any kids in the school board. Why should I vote? And so I explain that to them. They're like, oh, no, yeah, we can't do that. So that's the one thing, and that's the reasons why I'm running. Um, As a mother, a teacher, and a leader, you know, we just need to, to give the county our true best, and the incumbent that I'm running against isn't the best, and I am. Well, it's funny because uh, my county council, when they see me sitting there in the room during one of their meetings, they groan like, oh, Lord, what are we in for today? And I walked (laughs) in there one day, and here in South Carolina, the millage rate for school operations, uh, they did something really weird a number of years ago where they said if you own a second home, you have this part of the school budget and and this part. So they kind of like broke it apart into two different things, you know, operational and uh, I think of what the other one is. So if you own a second home, you pay the full amount. If you are a primary residence, you're paying only half. Ah, but there's a caveat. If you own a boat, if you have an outboard motor uh, for a boat, if you have a vehicle, if you own a business, uh, you pay that full tag. So I had my my, uh, car registration bill in hand. Half of the cost of registering my car was the school operational budget. And then they just turned around and says, well, no, you're a primary home resident, so you're not paying this portion of the school budget. 
And I held up my car bill, and I said, half of what I'm paying on registering my car is the school millage. And I own four cars. <laughs> One of them's up on a jack <laughs> in the middle of my front yard. So I'm a true southerner now. I am a true redneck. You've got to have at least one pickup truck on the jack, you know, in your yard. <laughs> so I'm paying for the school budget four times over for every single vehicle. And if you rent, that means you're paying the full taxes in your rent. If you own a business, every single asset, your desk, your computer, uh, the, the stuff you have stocked for sale is taxed on the school budget 100%. So when I turn around and I start to speak to people about why the school board is important, I says, do you realize when you go to the local Publix to buy your groceries, you are paying the school millage taxes? It's like, what? And it's just yep. the bread you just bought, why is it over $2? It's over $2 because of the taxes that are being placed on it, not only just by the federal, state, and county, but by the school board. So this is why I say someone like you is so very important for us. That's my rant. That's my preach for the day. I'll try not to do it too often. No problem. No worries. <laughs> uh, Kelly, you have a question you just posted in the chat room. Go ahead. Well, actually, there is um, uh, a question from the chat room, and this is from uh, New Orleans. And uh, he is expressing that um, he hopes that you're not uh, going to work to promote charter schools. He is explaining that it has been a disaster in New Orleans where he resides. I'm not too familiar with the charter school system. We don't have them up here in Canada, but... That would be um, an interesting uh, question to respond to. Well, when they say promote charter schools, no, I'm not going to go out there and, and, and welcome every charter school here. But I do believe in parental choice. And a lot of times constituents, they get caught up on what the rhetoric is. And unfortunately for New Orleans, they are having a hard time with charter schools. Um, charter mm -hmm. schools, for those that don't know, is an opportunity for school systems to come schools to come in under your current public school system. They're free, tuition-free schools, but they're ran by a separate board. So that means not only does the school board hold them accountable, but they also have a board of directors that hold them accountable. Um, there's no cost associated with that. Uh, nobody on the board is allowed to make it a living. And with that being said, that's where the miscommunication comes in because you hear the charter schools and you hear the negativity of them not performing, which a lot of them don't. But at the same time, there are some that are doing great things, and that's a part of being school choice. So you have mm -hmm. some parents that feel like, okay, well, this school system isn't meeting the needs of my family for whatever reason. That's their choice. Um, their, their choice is to do what's best. Their tax dollars are still going to that county. Um, it's not like they can take their student tax dollars and say, well, I'm going to take the dollars and the student and go where I want to go, we haven't gotten that far yet, and I'm, I'll be glad when we do, because then we're really putting the pressure on the public schools to really meet the mm. needs of the community. Oh, that's a very, that's well, you know, very interesting. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Annie. Charter uh, schools uh, are, the charter schools yeah. state by state are different, uh, because I know, you know Florida is a very similar system that we have here in South Carolina. In South Carolina, 
Um, the charter schools are highly successful because of the system we put in, and very few of them go under. Uh, they have a line out the door for people trying to get into them. What we do here in South Carolina is, yes, there's a board that is answerable to the school board, and it has to be open. Everything has to be open and accountable. It's not privately run as you – know, Obviously, it looks like in New Orleans, that's what that's maybe what their problem is. There's no accountability because it's not answering to the taxpayer and to the school board. But also in our correct. local charter schools, we have where the parent or a family member must give 20 hours a month to the school, whether they come in as a lunch aide or as a uh, tutor or as a hall monitor, they have to participate in the school for 20 hours per month. That makes the parent and the family actively aware of what is going on in the school. So there is absolutely, everything is wide open. So if the parent sees something going on wrong, if they see it, we have the yeah, we have the same thing in Florida, and I think that's where the misnomer. Again, every I mean, we have public schools that you know aren't performing well, but when you identify a new stream of education, it gets the most attention because it's something different. And so, as a parent, you know, I promote choice. Um, you know, I think about it this way, and I tell my constituents when I'm running, when I'm walking doors and knocking and speaking to people, no one tells us what kind of car to buy. No one tells us what kind of house to buy. No one tells us what store to shop at. So why should you feel the need to tell me where my children should go without having my input in it? And that's what we got to stress. Um, not one size fits all. Um, as a female, we know we buy things that is one size fits all, and we kind of like we wish it was a little bit this way and it was a little <laughs> bit that way. So it, it's not truly going to benefit our children with an education system just like that. Um, being tailor-made, charter schools are normally providing something that the district doesn't feel like there's enough need for, um, so they don't want to expand in that area. For example, um, there may be a performing arts need. Well, they may have just elementary students, um, and at the time, the school district can't afford to build a school just for performing arts or create a curriculum or a career path for that. A charter school will come in and help. You know, they're not supposed to be in an anti-school district. They're supposed to enhance your school district. So my goal is to help educate people on what charter schools are supposed to do how we can hold them accountable, and how they can truly help our community and our county grow, you know, to be the best it can be. Yeah, well, my suggestion to New Orleans is get involved in the political system in New Orleans down there and start working to change. Because if you have a school board you can't trust, find people to run for those seats and put people that you can trust to that school board. That is what we're doing in our county because we found our school board here was corrupt and we have, we've got 11 out of the seven seats up for election and we are changing those seats. We got active. We did something about it. So if you have a problem in New Orleans, then you've got to work from within to make the change. And that's what this show is basically about, how we can make the change. And that is what you're doing, LaTanya, finding a way to change it for the better, for the children, and for the community. God bless you for that. Um, Thank you. One of the questions we have here, uh, one of the things we have, you you spoke about choice. Uh, We have what we call in South Carolina ed choice. That's what we call the law. However, it favors what people claim are soccer moms uh, because soccer moms can drive their kids to the school of their choice. There are kids in disfranchised neighborhoods that 
don't have that ability. The parents can't take them to the school that they may want to choose. Uh, is there something that you would like to see done in your school district to allow the disenfranchised, the underprivileged, to have the same access of school choice? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, as a teacher, I fought for open enrollment. And what that provides is the same thing that you're, you guys call it ed choice. But more to the point, again, if we are looking for all these solutions and we have a mass exodus of schools and our children are in school systems where their parents can't get them to another school system, then we have to fix the school they're at. Um, I'm not looking to uproot anyone and, you know, people move into neighborhoods because they want to go to a neighborhood school. We don't move into a neighborhood to, to taxi our children around the county for the best education. So we have to get into the school systems within our neighborhoods and fix them. Um, the resources are there, and that's what my goal would be, not to, you know, uproot any family and make it more of a burden or a hardship for that family, but to give them what they need right in their own back door. And I think that's where you won't have the disenfranchised students that can't get what they need because they're, everyone's getting what their needs are, and it's going to look different for each school. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was one of those that I grew up in the era of when they started the busing. I don't know uh, if, if you know what that was, but back in the 60s and early 70s, in order to, quote, integrate the schools, uh, which our school already was integrated, they decided to have this busing plan that so many kids had to be bused to make it an equal amount of students, of whether or not they're white, Hispanic, black, uh, and it was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Uh, busing doesn't work, but allowing parents to choose to live near a school they want, it's an excellent idea. And if they can't, then to improve the school, that's even a, a better idea. Oh, man. Yes, um, I know I know. for a family it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I had to get up early in the morning because my younger brother and sister went to a nearby school, uh, they were being bused to one that was like half a town over. So I had to get them to the bus stop and make sure they got on the bus because my brother had a habit of not making the bus coming uh, <laughs> out. And then by the time I got over to where my bus stop was to take me to a school that was two miles away, um, I would always miss it. And I'd have to walk those two miles to school. And I'd get there just as the bell was ringing. It was just a, a nightmare for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. The next question I have here is discipline is a problem in many schools, especially in our high schools, and it's now creeping down into the middle schools. And when a child is disciplined or attempted to be disciplined, parents will now challenge the teacher and then eventually the principal to take it up to the principal. The principal then would you know, initiate the discipline. Then the parent would challenge the principal and take it up to the school board, who most of the time, it happens here, that the school board will overturn the school's decision on discipline. Uh, what is your ideal pathway to a discipline problem such as this? Well, I think we have to get back to the basics. And I, I am a true uh, proponent of that, and that is bringing the parents back into the school system, especially at the secondary level, which is your 6th through 12th grade. Um, some people say, you know, we, we pretty much, and you probably heard this and I hear it a lot in education, we drop them off in kindergarten and we pick them up in 12th grade. And somewhere in the middle we check in. We have to get beyond that. We have to stop that rhetoric. We have to be actively involved. Um, I would like to see a parent, uh, a parent academy where middle and high school student parents are held accountable just as they are at a charter school. You have to volunteer. 
they want to belong, but no one is opening that door at the middle and high school to say, hey, mom, why don't you come in and help us do this thing? Or, you know, they're like, oh, well, you're too big. You don't need a mom to come in. Well, no, that's when they need their parents. They need their parents more than now than they do in K through 5 to me um, because we all know those are the rearing years. So they're still afraid of the parents, whereas 6 through 12, they're kind of, you know, peer pressure is really huge. Um, bullying does exist. And the pressure of being a teacher is that much greater because you're, you're really holding their diploma in your hands. Making sure they're successful is, is, is the ultimate goal. So partnering with their parents at the middle and high school is something that I'm really going to push for and bringing in that open communication between the teacher and the parent. Um, funny you asked, we had a um, – we did an ice cream social with a business uh, on yesterday, and one of the moms asked the same question. I said, well, did you know by law in the state of Florida – um, that you have to, a teacher has to give your child a grade a week. So she's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. She's like, because what they, what's happening here is the parents don't know their rights, and the teachers don't know their rights. And so we have two groups of very influential people who don't know what they can and cannot do. And that's where the discipline problem comes in, because Latanya may not bring a pencil, but the school is supposed to provide that. And if I can't, then there's a problem. You know what I mean? And so we have to get back to what we're supposed to do, the role we're supposed to play, and that's to educate families and students. And right now we're just educating one and not the other, and that's what's bringing the angst and the frustration and the discipline concern. Wonderful. Well, and we have another question. Annie, this is a great question from the, um, um, the, the chat room once again. This is from Cool Mike, in fact. Um, he wants to know, what your opinion is of a common core federal government standards. And, yes, I'm fascinated by a response um, regarding I that. I don't think that we need the common core at all. Um, common core was, the, I know the intent, however, when you don't have the buy-in from the people who have to implement it, such as the teachers and the parents and the stakeholders, we get a, a, a movement that has no no true teeth in it. And so the standards that we have currently in Florida um, the, the great thing is we have an opportunity to not adhere to the Common Core when it comes to um, the textbooks we choose. And so as a school board member, you know, our opportunity to bring the stakeholders to the table and say, well, these are the options, um, and some have Common Core in them and some don't. And then as a parent, I should be able to see what that is going to be looking like as far as teaching and have a say if I'm with it, if I'm for it or against it. And currently that's just not happening. So I'm, I don't think we need that. Um, and I would be definitely against that happening. Wow. I'm voting for you. I'm moving to Florida. I'm going to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll vote like a Democrat, too. I'll vote twice. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, we're at, a, we're at our country's at a tipping point, and we have some great things going on, but we really need people at the local level. And so my hashtag has been for years, it starts local. Um, because the school board, although it doesn't, it's not the, the, the new sexy term, but a lot of information and a lot of things can happen at the school board level that are really going to impact the future of that county. And so my goal is to bring that awareness back to the school board um, and bring the importance back to the school board and bring the value back to the school board. And so that's why I'm running in addition to the other things that I mentioned earlier. Well, one of the problems we have in our local school board is that we've got an extremely high administrative cost compared to what goes into the actual classroom. And it's disproportionate. And as a matter of fact, our county happens to be one of the highest within our state. Um, I don't know how your school board is, but 
do you have a similar situation that you feel that may need an outside audit to bring more money into the classroom? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. We currently, so I'm in Clay County, as you mentioned, and we have 46 schools. Um, right now, with 46 schools, and that's K through 12, and we have junior high. So we're very top-heavy in our leadership. And so when I hear my teachers saying that, you know, we have to go out and buy supplies, it infuriates me because I look at the leadership and how much we spend on their salaries, and I'm like, is that truly the need of the district? Um, and so the the first 30 days out, whatever it takes to get a uh, audit done by the Department of Education, which doesn't cost the county anything, to make sure we are being fiscal responsible with the resources we currently have before we go to the constituents and say we need to do a mill increase or we need to ask for a half sale penny tax. Um, those are the things that I cannot do without fully understanding where, where our resources are and if we're truly using them the way we should be. But we, we're not doing that right now. All we're doing is throwing money at problems and we're not really seeing how much money we have, what we're using with what we already have. And, you know, the funny thing is, is here, I got a friend of mine, she's a teacher in one of the elementary schools, and the money they give her to put for supplies in the classroom is only $250 for all the kids for for the semester. And it, it just makes no sense. And the school board tells them, well, you know, if you need to spend more money, you can write it off on your taxes. It was one of the most <laughs> idiotic things I have ever heard. But I'm hearing more and more stuff like that. It is crazy, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. And as an educator, I can tell you I've never – anything I bought with my $250 was for the, the classroom as a whole. It was never for student supplies. Um, I've been blessed to, again, know the law and know the teacher's rights and advocate at the school level that I worked at, and I was able to get my supplies for my students. And these were basic supplies. Like, you know, I, I, my hat goes off to the elementary teachers. There are so many resources that are needed, but if you buy them in bulk as a school – can you imagine how much more money we could get done with less? Um, you know, when I taught at a Title I school, which most teachers don't know this, you, there's a budget allocated for school supplies. So your, te- your students are already at 70% free or reduced lunch, and the state gives them resources because they already know that these are families who cannot afford supplies. So we had to submit a list. Um, I taught in a middle school. I had 150 students. And I just asked for 150 pencils, 150 notebooks, and we got it. So my parents did not have to worry about one more thing to make sure their children were successful. And that was that's one thing that I will pride myself on, making sure our families know that here in Clay County as well. I'm going to tell people, go to your Facebook page, Peterson for School Board, and, you know, get on there, click on and send you a message, send you a donation if they can. But, oh, man, yes, yes. we need more people <laughs> like you in a, in a school district. Uh, my next question would be, uh, not all school students are college material. And, and the path right now we see most of the schools is like, well, we've got to get you into college, but not all kids you know, our college material. Would you support a technical education component that would help place students into industries or public service in the community? Yes, of course. I'm definitely an advocate for technical and vocational trade school, certification school, um, paths that we can create. Um, Again, back to the basics. I remember being in sixth grade and taking a shop class, and I knew right then when I heard the saws going that that was not going to be something I wanted to do as a career but it doesn't mean that I couldn't give it my best interest and see if it's something that I could explore. Um, We have to start doing that. We cannot 
afford for our country to be one mind, one set minded. Um, we need to expose our children to those that want to go into the military, um, those that want to go into missionary work. You know, there are a lot of the public school system is supposed to be the foundation of everything that the world has to offer, and we've got to get back to that. And that does not mean by everyone going to college. Um, it doesn't mean everyone's doing a trade, but we have to expose these children to things that they may not even know exist, and that's what education is all about. You know, it's funny because I grew up in an age where, you know, we were taught all the basic ABCs. And I look at today's kids, and a lot of them can't balance a checkbook. They don't even know how to balance a checkbook. Uh, if you or use a typewriter. <laughs> I, I, what's a typewriter? You know, right. that. I had <laughs> I have someone listening in who asked me what a um, landline was. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's oh, a telephone Lord, yeah. that has a wire that goes to the telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a dial telephone. Didn't know what a dial telephone was. And I actually still have a dial telephone. So when the power goes out, I still have telephone service. Um, That's true. It, it, it's amazing how the kids are not prepared. And I tell the story about, you know, going to the grocery store once. And you know that little divider you put between the person standing in front of you and your groceries? You know, that little plastic yeah. you know, uh, rectangle mm-hmm. thing? We're standing there, and the cashier grabs it and is trying to scan it and asking for a price check on it. Lord, help us. Some of the, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I see kids, when they even come in for a job interview, wearing flip-flops and shorts. Uh, some of these simple, basic Things that kids should know how to survive in the world outside are not being taught. And it's a shame. It really is a shame. Um, just to go a little bit different part of the topic, and another question is that with the recent school shootings and attacks, would you consider methods in which to harden the targets? And if so, what would you consider? Um, first, I would consider bringing God back into the school system first. Um, I think that, you know, the more we take God out of our school system, the more we're having these problems. And as far as hardwiring, I would like to see, especially in Clay County, we have a lot of open campuses. Um, And looking at that infrastructure before we're talking about bringing in manpower, what I think people are missing and the public is missing is that these are kids who know the ins and outs of the school. So hardwiring it and making sure we have a resource officer or putting in metal detectors. These are kids who have access to these things already. So it's, it's almost as if we're telling the enemy what our plan is. Um, we never know what the triggers are because we're not truly looking at what the needs of the students are. So if we get back to looking at the needs of the students, bringing God back into the school, um, and going from there, rebuilding self-esteem is really big um, for me. And being able to have kids know that their differences are okay and that we're all here to make the world a better place, and, and we have to get back to that. So when you, I know when I hear people say we need security, we need hardwiring, it makes me uncomfortable because I don't want my children going to a prison cell. That's not public education. Um, that, that that has never worked. And so when I hear that, I immediately go to, okay, well, listen, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it from the standpoint of getting back to the basics. I remember if I wanted to pray, I could. If I didn't want to pray, I had to respect those that did. Um, you know, respect is something that we've got to get back to. It, you know, we've gone to the 
every one size fits all and everything. You can decide to be, you know, this and everyone has to accept you. And, well, that's not the reality. Things change. And so we need to change as well and get back to what really worked for your generation and my generation. It worked for us, and we're, we're, we turned out great. <laughs> um, well, you know, so that's where that, is, is, well, people always talk about the separation of government and the church, you know, church and state. And that's not in the Constitution. It never was in the Constitution. In fact, the First Amendment states that Congress shall not create or promote any religion, nor prohibit the free expression thereof. And the exactly. same thing goes with free speech. You know, you're allowed yep. to practice your religion wherever and whenever. So if I'm standing in a courtroom and I decide to say the Lord's Prayer, government cannot prohibit me from doing that, even exactly. though I am on government exactly. property. Exactly. The same should be for a school. So, you know, you, you yeah. have the right to practice whatever your religion is and not be prohibited from it, as long as it does That's not correct. harm another individual or the community. Uh, so I'm sorry yeah. if you say your religion is chopping off someone's knees. That's not a religion. <laughs> that don't work that way. <laughs> oh, man. Um, these are some of the questions I had gotten from my local GOP. And... Um, here in South Carolina, we have a school board association for the that's a state school board association that has a professional code of behavior. Uh, does Florida have the same thing? I know there's a national one, and uh, would you abide and sign it? Um, we have a national educational fund, but I don't think it's the same as you guys. Um, but I'd have to look into that to see if that's something that I could support because I'm not familiar with it at the state level. At Florida, we don't have anything that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I, what I can do is I can send you uh, the PDF copy of what I have. I'll email okay. that to you a little bit later on tonight or tomorrow That'd so that great. you have it. But it's based upon what the National uh, School Board Association has put together, and it's very interesting, and uh, it has a set of ethics and everything else on it. Um, now, okay. my question to you is what do you pers- – what do you perceive as your duties and responsibility as a school board member? Oh, we just lost Latanya. Her phone call just dropped out. <laughs> oh, bummer. Oh, really? Oh, no way. What a drag. Yeah, her call just dropped out. Oh, oh sorry yeah. about that, guys. Hopefully she'll pull in because she's only got about nine minutes left before our next guest calls in. Uh, next two guests, which shall be very interesting. Right? Oh, my goodness, the uh, uh, people, you really have to um, uh, perk your ears up (laughs) big time for the second hour. It's going to be fireworks. Oh, Annie, looking forward to that one. You know, I was was going over some of the materials that Soraya Dean had written on some of the stuff, and I was starting to highlight some of the things in um, it's it's going to be interesting because uh, I can't see how a moderate Muslim can exist in Islam as Islam is. And if you attempt to Absolutely. alter Islam, you become an apostate. And then you're subject to a fatwa. So Islam will never reform. We can reform Christianity and there's no major repercussions. You know, we do not in Christianity take the sword and say you will convert or die. But Islam Absolutely. does that. So you attempt yeah. to so it's going to be very interesting, and I know Usama Dakduk is going to, is looking very forward uh, to uh, being on the show. But we got a lot of great comments uh, in the chat room for some of our friends here. What do you think? 
I think that uh, the chat room is just being so totally awesome today. And um, I, I loved uh, the uh, query uh, regarding uh, uh, teaching uh, a Christianity um, or at least uh, promoting a Christianity in the uh, schoolrooms because I think that uh, sharing uh, the values of uh, Jesus Christ, it would make the schools a much kinder place, a much kinder environment, and we wouldn't have bully issues, and we wouldn't have uh, kids that uh, are feeling isolated. Everybody would be all-embracing because, of course, it is so important to me. Um, every day I wake up and I try to walk in the footsteps of uh, Jesus and do what's right. Like, I'm a curmudgeon. I can be a real brat. And I get into my own Donnybrooks, and I desk pound quite a bit. But at least at the end of the day, I can rest my head easy knowing that I did not harm anybody. I did not hurt anybody. Um, I was not mean to anybody because it's very important to me. My, my faith is very important to me. I'm fairly private about it, but it's there. Same with you, right, Annie? Absolutely. And I got to tell you, you, you get a kick out of this. I had a call in New York City uh, yesterday. I needed some information. And I, I, the person, whoever I got on the phone, I must have just bothered them at the wrong time. How dare I intrude on their day? And mm. I was trying to get into a certain website because I needed to download a document uh, that had dealt with my pension. And I'm trying to get to the document, and the webpage kept on saying it was unavailable. So, of course, I called the department I need to talk to to ask them what is the correct address, you know, email, then I email, a webpage address that I can get this document from. And she rattles it off so fast. It's like, I'm sorry, can you repeat that a little bit slower? And she got upset with me. So she repeats it just as fast. And I said, I'm sorry, you're going too fast. I can't write that fast. Can you just go a little bit slower? So she finally rattles it off with the huffiest and nastiest of voices. And I'm going, oh, good Lord. And I say, I don't miss New York. I'm thinking to myself, I do not miss New York in the least bit. Thank God I came to the South as soon as I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, I turned around and the last thing I said to her, well, you have a good day because you are not. <laughs> you are not nice. I said. I think I said to her, "You have a nice day because you're not nice." <laughs> Just like, oh, it's that, that, that's all you can do. Uh, yeah. Um, oh me, goodness. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. ill-tempered. I'm ill-tempered because of my age and because of my life experience. But Annie, you um, certainly turned the other cheek, and I'm proud of you for that. I have had. A, representatives of companies actually tell me to F off. I, I phoned a Campbell's a Soup a couple of years ago to inquire about the uh, halal products um, and uh, the women I was speaking with. And I was very polite. And it was uh, it was just a query. I, I was like, hello, I'm, I'm just inquiring about your halal products and why they're not labeled on uh, your products, uh, for example. And the and, and she she didn't even give me a chance, Annie. She said, "My husband is a Muslim, so you f off." And she hung up on me. <laughs> she thought I was attacking uh, her husband, like Muslims. No, I wasn't attacking Muslims. I was making a query about Islamic, a product, uh, being put on the store shelves from this uh, particular company. Gee. 
<laughs> and you know the funny thing is Canadians like you are extremely polite unless oh, they're a store now. clerk. <laughs> Unless they're a store clerk or a waiter or waitress, then you're not going to have a oh, polite day. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 for goodness sake, absolutely. If, if if you punch me in the face, I'm the one who says, I'm sorry. Oh, except well, the, 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 there's a few aberrations. Uh, Gary and I are a couple of aberrations, so we get to quite feisty about uh, a certain issues, and we're, we're getting worse and worse. Canadians are getting nastier, actually, because we can't deal with Trudeau Canada. We're getting so fed up. It's uh, even even uh, global news. <laughs> They're starting to shut down the common boards because too many of us are piling on their fake stories. <laughs> Just, we're not, well, even, we're not holding back. <laughs> well, we've, we've had several callers in the studio raising their hand. Let's bring the first one up on, and it's our friend Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Cool Mike. Uh, we got Mike. about two and a half minutes for our next guest call in. Uh, what's up? Hey, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the uh, school board candidate. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and I was going to mention. Uh, you know Doug Ford, the uh, Ottawa or uh, Ontario premier. He's quite That's the little right. Donald Trump up there. He, uh, he, he is. Rec- yeah, he yeah. just recently uh, um, made comment that Justin Trudeau should be wearing a dress or something. Um, I, for- <laughs> I forgot what it is, but we <laughs> actually Trudy. invited him to a, a event here in Michigan, and I hope he accepts the invitation. Um, oh, Doug Ford is just brilliant. Oh, Mike. Um, I, I, I hope he does come down, and I hope you have an opportunity to meet him. He is just fantastic, and he's like his uh, late uh, brother, uh, Rob Ford, who is the mayor of uh, Toronto. Uh, Doug Ford takes phone calls, and he responds to emails. So, Mike, I hope you had the opportunity to meet him. Yeah, well, he actually called me back. I wrote, you know, thinking Whoa. on his page <laughs> that it was going to be, you know, somebody from Facebook or whatever. And he made a he he made a comment that I uh, um, it was a it was a letter we got from the president. Obviously, I don't know that he did this directly, but one of the aides sent it, and uh, um, I posted it on there. It was uh, for a veteran who was a hundred years old, and uh, he thought he thought that was pretty cool. And uh, as one of his campaign models, Annie was uh, he wants to return dollar beers to Canada. Uh, oh yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Annie probably don't want to hear that because Yanni be wanting to make the way north. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but he's a, you know I, I see uh, we see these mini Trump minions starting up places, and that's great. You know the movement. This oh, is yeah. a global movement. Whether it's exiting Brexit, whether it's uh, you know electing Mr. Ford as the new premier. I mean, we're we're seeing a global movement oh, oh, against man. the establishment. Aren't we seeing a sea change everywhere? Look at Central Europe, and uh, look look what's happening. And yeah, the European uh, Union—they they're really in for it. And uh, can, like I was mentioning with uh, Annie, is that Canadians are really uh, uh, raising on, on their nasty heads now because we just cannot deal with a federal government. A uh, uh, Doug Ford is you're right, he is like our uh, Donald Trump. And I have my MOGA cap there, Mike. Make Ontario great again. Woohoo! That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, and his win wasn't just a win. It was kind of like a 2010 United States uh, um, where really the conservatives really swept. And it's still a liberal area, but they just had had it. You know, after so many years of being in control and just failing the people, um, you know, sooner or later, no matter how liberal you are, uh, when you're broke and they're still taking your money and you become more broke, uh, reality sets in. Um, and I don't know if you guys had a chance to notice, but uh, little, uh, little, um, our, uh, the People's Republic of California recently oh, yeah. banned straws or giving out too many straws. So if a server, a waiter or waitress, brings a straw to your table uh, unauthorized, uh, they could face jail time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, jail time. Yeah, I read about that. Like that is insane. It let's save the environment uh, to the extreme, uh, shall we? Yeah, way too many plastics out there. Yeah. We, oh, how are you gonna drink a milkshake without a straw? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's the craziness. You know, the over political correctness has gone absolutely nuts. You know, here in, in South Carolina, some of the municipalities were banning the, what they call single-use plastic bags. Now, I don't know if, if anyone out there listening in is like me, but when I go to the grocery store and I get the plastic bags, I have a little uh, uh, thing that I shove them all in. So if I have to clean the cat box, I've got the plastic bag. Plastic yeah. bags in my house can get used up to five times easily, even though they call them oh, a single-use. And then when I'm done, they go into the trash. They don't get discarded on the street. So they decided to ban plastic bags in certain municipalities. Well, the state of South Carolina overruled that. However, if you enacted your law prior to January 31st, which my county did, that ban stays in effect. But when you look at what the actual litter is, the, the, the number one item is cigarette butts. And sitting right behind it are tin cans, the soda cans, the soda and beer cans. Way down, way, 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 way down on the list are plastic bags. And yet, that's what they focus on. And my question to my county council when they were doing this brain surgeon resolution was, why aren't you enforcing the current litter laws? Go after the people that are littering instead of going after the law-abiding citizen and inconveniencing them. And now they did a survey uh, in one of the local towns on, on the plastic bag ban. And I found that rather, um, rather, rather uh, amusing because the vast majority of people, something like 85% of the response, the shop owners, the stores, whatever, that responded don't pay for their plastic bags. They get them for free. So now if they get rid of these single-use plastic bags and they have to go to the more expensive bags, they're going to have to pay for them. Oh, wait a minute. They're not actually paying for them. They're going to take that cost and put it back onto the consumer. So everything you buy is going oh, to be yeah. a little more expensive. The idiocy that you see in these people, instead of going after those breaking the law, it's easier to inconvenience the law abiding citizen. Why? Because the law abiding citizen, 99% of the time, will just take it and just accept a new norm. Well, we've got exactly. to stop accepting the new yeah. norm. It's somewhere it's got to stop. You, you know what I find, uh, Sunny, um, Annie, and Cool Mike, is that when I go to the grocery store and I have uh, a 10 to 12 items and I, I get to the checkout, uh, they ask me, do you want a plastic bag? It's like, 
Um, no, I don't need a plastic bag. I'm going to pile all of these items on my head and walk out the door. Give me my bloody bag. <laughs> well, it's oh. funny because, you know, uh, my husband, he's got one heck of a sense of humor. I love him for that. Um, so his his comment was, well, when you ask for the bag, it's either you're going to kill a tree. Because remember, back then, plastic bags came into existence because we were killing the trees because everyone was using paper bags. So you're either going to kill a tree or choke a fish. (laughs) Oh, man. You're always going to find fault with whatever it is. So now they have these cloth bags. And if you ever saw what they put into these cloth bags, you know, like fish and chicken and stuff, and, of course, you get the juices running all inside the bag. Yeah. Do people turn yeah. around and wash them immediately after they unpack the bags? No. No. So now they're putting these contaminated things into the bags, and their hands are touching this, and then they go into the store, and they touch all the other items in the store, spreading disease and germs. Is a nice of people with these cloth bags. It's like, honey, wherever you're walking, I'm going in the other direction. Anything you touch, I ain't going near. Really. You, you think you're saving the environment. But yet, these cloth bags they have have nylon in them. What is nylon? It's made from plastic. It has the, the logos <laughs> and everything on them. Made from petrochemicals, the paint that they put on to, to put their logos on. And these bags, after you wash them five times, fall apart. So what happens, you have to yeah. go out and buy a new one. Then, then when you do the old one, you throw it away and you pollute the environment. So <laughs> I would rather stick with either killing a tree or choking a fish. Because, honey, oh, you're causing my, one Oh, man, I, I'm, I, I am telling you. Annie, man, are you ever on the money with that one? And um, uh, uh, Bigfoot, uh, he says that there is uh, a five-cent uh, fee uh, per plastic bag. Uh, um at the supermarket. Now, I do try to bring my cloth bags, and I do try to wash them, but I don't always wash them. But we also have the same thing up here. Now, we have the uh, Food Basics uh, chain here in in, in Canada, and what they do is, uh, this is brilliant uh, as well, is that uh, they have bins um, alongside the um, uh, checkout lines, and it's bins full of uh, of uh, boxes and they they don't have bags but they have boxes and uh you can take a box of and take it home and I do that quite often too I find a uh, reuse uh, for those boxes everywhere like yard work things like that my cats they love them <laughs> my, my cats cat sleep in a damn box <laughs> realistically uh, being honest is it really any of local or government's business? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, we had Annie several years ago. We had a um, uh, the guy who was doing the uh, health insurance. I think it was Rush Limbaugh's nephew or someone, and he made a comment that I've used over and over and over. He says, "Look, government is not a franchise. It is strictly to provide uh, federal at the federal level what its constitution is, at the state level what its constitution." and at the local level to provide the services that we as people cannot provide for ourselves, and that's it. It's not a franchise that grows. It should not be having a surplus or a profit, as they put it. It simply needs to be what government was intended for. And, I, I, mean, we, I mean, we're I mean, we talking straws. We're talking plastic bags. We're talking pooper scoopers. We're just, there's just so many damn 
lefts and rights and all kinds of other nonsense that it, it just it it grows government to the point to where is we're just giving away our our rights and the choices that we need to make as individuals period well it's kind of like the question like we, to that lady about the common core standards go well, ahead Annie. i'm sorry I, I see- up in the uh, studio uh, switchboard. Uh, so if you are here as our guest, please press 1 on your keypad so that I know that you are a guest and not just listening in. Unfortunately, Blog Talk Radio took that feature off, so I, I don't always know if it's a guest or just someone listening in. Oh, uh, so they're both there. Bring aboard. Okay, so I believe this area code 818 is our guest, Soroya. Soroya D? Yes, and yes. Uh-huh, yes. Okay, I'm I saw you sitting there before, but, you know, unfortunately, they don't always tell me what number my guest is calling in on. Uh, we also have with us uh, Usama Dakduk, who is the pastor of the Straight Way Ministry. So welcome, Soroya. Welcome to the show. Uh, and you are a founder of the Muslim Woman Speakers Movement, uh, which seeks to promote the voices of Muslim women as leaders. Uh so you're coming in as you call yourself a moderate Muslim. So we're going to have an interesting conversation because my question is, is under Islam as it is, can moderates actually exist? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as long as we know all religions are set of ideas uh, and uh, how we Muslims need to look at it and interpret it. And there are millions who do, and there are a few in the fringes who don't. Uh, so, we, their voices are amplified, and uh, the work of what the work I do, and uh, thousands of other Muslims do around the world, is to really uh, bring out the other moderate voices. Well, you know, I I have read the Quran. Uh, as a matter of fact, Usama Datuk had has who's on the line with us has written the English interpretation of it. So, Usama, you. Know, can as Islam sits today, can a moderate Muslim exist? Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on your show, and it's uh, going to be a wonderful time. I hope and I pray. Uh, yes, a Muslim woman can be moderate in America, or maybe in some place in Europe. Not all over Europe, but not in Islam. There's a huge difference between a woman in Islam and a Muslim woman in America. Uh, a Muslim woman in America can be anything you can imagine. As a matter of fact, I met some Muslim ladies in America who are lesbians. Now, think about a Muslim lesbian in Egypt. Well, good luck with that. Think about a Muslim lesbian in Iran. Well, good luck with Think about a Muslim lesbian in any of the 57 Muslim countries. Well, good luck with that. But in America, you can have a Muslim lesbian lady. You can have a Muslim lady of anything. Because the Islam they teach and they practice in the West here in America has nothing to do with the Islam of the Quran or the Islam of Muhammad. And that is what I call propaganda Islam or hogwash Islam. No such a thing as a moderate Muslim man or woman. Why? Because that does not exist. Modernism and the new thought of reforming Islam and make Islam what they wish to be exists in the West, but not in the Quran, not in the Hadith. That is the answer to your question. Well, Surayna, so what you're saying is that you want to reform Islam. And now my question to you would be is that, would you still have Muhammad as your prophet, knowing the history and background of Muhammad, the violence, the slavery, and everything else that he had done? 
would he still be considered a prophet or would you then substitute something else or some other idea in his place? Well, uh, first to begin with, uh, I am not a theologian, but I do read and understand the Quran. And I'm a, I'm a student of the history of religion. And if you look at all religions, there is doctrinal violence, there is doctrinal legitimacy for violence. And Islam uh, is not an exception. And there has reformations have taken place uh, during the period of uh, uh, the doctrine of discovery and the doctrine of salvation. A lot of atrocities were committed in the name of Christianity. And we can't overlook those. Uh, I am I'm a product of Sri Lanka. That is a little country in South Asia. We were colonized. Uh, and there's a lot of raw history to that. Uh, and I believe very strongly uh, only 15% of the Muslims live in the Middle East, and they drive the conversation. I'm a South Asian woman. Uh, and uh, there is not one Islam. There is not one Muslim. And I am very uh, and eager and very honestly and candidly, I have to admit, yes, there are some very violent passages in the Quran. And what we Muslims have failed to do is, understand the contextuality of that uh, and that has come to haunt us now we have not taught our people that all religion is contextual uh, and we should uh, we should be able to uh, understand this deeply instead of going proclaiming uh, being defensive uh, trying to define ourselves and that we have failed miserably and can there be a moderate islam absolutely there's 1.7 billion muslims uh, and they are all not violent. They're not all uh, subjugating their women. But there is, or in all the Muslim majority countries, absolutely. I'm, a, I'm appalled myself when I look at Iran, uh, where women are forced to wear a head cover. And when I look at Saudi Arabia, whom we, uh, the, our, our country, we, 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 we are co-hosts with Saudi Arabia, uh, who has oppressed women for centuries. So I, I'm not, I don't think there is one, uh, one solution to this and one indictment and one, uh, one answer to this. Uh, in my corner of the world, I have seen Muslim women uh, being uh, victims of polygamy uh, and gender inequality, uh, and Muslim women's scholarship has been undermined. So that is what I talk about, and that is what I am uh, very strongly uh, calling on the Muslim community well, now, I, I, just forgive me my, my ignorance, but any any attempt to reform Islam, then it no longer yeah. is Islam, as I understand Absolutely. it. So you would have to yeah. actually form a whole new religion. Sure. It, it, Am I wrong or right? No, I don't think so, because uh, we, uh, you know, I, I, I also work with the Omnia Institute for Contextual Leadership. We de- deconstruct some of the received theology and some of the revealed theology has to be deconstructed because what are we going to do out of religion? Religion has inherently, all religions have not been kind to women. Can I share something quickly here, if you don't mind? If you don't mind, because we're going in a big circle here. Let's keep the conversation a little bit small so we, our audience will not get lost here. You cannot reform religion. You can reform the mosque. He can reform the church. You see, a good 500 years ago, a man by the name Martin Luther reformed the church in Europe. And what Martin Luther did, it's actually summarized in two words, solo scripto, which means scripture alone. You go back to the Bible and you reform the church. 
You go back to the Quran and you reform Islam. So if some people today say it's okay for a woman to have uh, four husbands, that is not right. Why? Because Allah's word in the Quran says a man has the right to have four free women, unlimited number of concubines and slaves. This is the word of Allah. Okay? Quran chapter 4 and verse 34. So when you read the Quran, you see the Quran teaches a Muslim man have right to practice polygamy. Not only by having four free women, but unlimited number of concubine slaves. Now, if you want to make a brand new Islam, that's one thing. But don't you say, don't you say, uh, do not say that I'm reforming Islam because you cannot reform the religion. You can reform the people to bring them back to the religion. There is one Islam. I don't think my dear sister here, she even understands what the word Muslim means. Do you know what the word Muslim means, ma'am? Sir, if you're on a rampage to, to just to find fault, I'm not going to join you in this conversation. We are in a very challenging time. There's no one truth. There are many truths. There are 7.5 billion people in oh, the no. world. So oh, let, no, me, let me teach you there, about polygamy. Polygamy, I oppose polygamy very deeply. But what Quran explains of polygamy is, uh, is, is, is contextual. In that time, uh, a, a, a man was allowed to marry four women. But it is not preferred. Uh, but uh, it says you could marry if you, have, uh, if you have orphans. And those situations have changed. That's why Muslims, they're trying to speak into those situations that we have to deconstruct that Can you repeat your statement? You can marry if you have orphans? Yes. Okay. Surah oh. 434 clearly says uh, that you that's... can marry, uh, uh, you are permitted to marry one, two, three, and four under three conditions. One is to take care of orphans. If you certainly can emotionally, oh, no, economically no, no, no. take care of a person. This is, this is not interpretation to the Quran. This is what I call fabrication of the Quran. Because if you read the It, it depends whose version it, you are reading. And, and I, really, I refuse to be on this call because I'm not going to de debate theology. Sorry, you, 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 were, you were invited uh, to this program. You agreed to join the program, and we are graciously welcoming you. Uh, please uh, listen to Yasama, and uh, likewise, and uh, please do not leave in a huff. You're getting defensive, and, but we do appreciate what you're trying to convey. It may not be agreed upon, but you did agree to join this program. Please stay. Please don't leave us. The point is this. I would love to stay. I look forward to staying. But if you come at me with your set ideas and not encourage me to discuss mine and condemn mine, I think we are not having a conversation. I think the, the a dialogue should begin with us being tentative about what we know, not so much to say, you know what, this cannot be done, this is not... This, this can never be done. Where are, where are we going in the conversation? We have listeners. We are trying to educate the people. So I, well, I listen to your different courage. viewpoints. Uh, we very much appreciate your being here, but you have to listen to different viewpoints. And Usama has uh, different viewpoints. So uh, we are very excited that uh, both of you are here and that you're engaging in a dialogue. So... With that said, I'm going to uh, sit back and uh, let you uh, make a point and pass it back to Yusama after you're done your point. Go ahead, Soraya. Well, so so I I, I just uh, I said what the Quran says about polygamy, and I personally don't support it uh, either. I think we have to 
uh, the people have to come up and say it's not working for us. Uh, and we have to, like, like, the, like the Talmud has a commentary, you know, people, the Jews don't go to the Talmud to read everything about the, the they don't go to the Torah to get everything about how they need to live. They have the Talmud, a commentary. So that is what we Muslims need to do. And that, those are things that we are talking about. And it is slow. It is slow. And, and it's appalling that it is, it is happening in certain circles. Now, a person like me who even proposes this kind of reform, I have a lot of pushback within my community also. But, but is, it, is it not impossible? I don't think it's impossible. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. Well, here is, here is uh, my, my answer to our dear friend here. First of all, the word Muslim is to submit. To submit to what? To people's opinions? No. To uh, people's ideas? No. To submit to the word of Allah in the Quran and the command of Muhammad in the Hadith which is his talk. And follow Muhammad's example, the noblest example. Did Muhammad have four wives? No, he actually had nine wives. Well, he had a specialty with Allah. Okay, Allah uh, gave him 17 or 18 specialties than any other Muslim believer. But when you talk about marrying to four wives at the time, this is if a Muslim man cannot deal fairly with the orphans. Which is a very weird thing you read in the Quran. Is it that the Quran teaches a Muslim man can literally involve with orphans sexually? Yeah. If you cannot control yourself as a man from not being involved with these orphans as sexually, then marry. How many? Two and three and four. And if you cannot treat them equally, then marry one. And then the verse does not stop there because Allah said, and all what your right hand possesses. And that is the part of the verse where most Muslims in America will not read, or most Muslims in the West will not read. Why? Because you're talking about slavery. You're talking about concubines. Now, the Muslim can tell you Islam is a loving, peaceful religion. But in the same time, they will tell you, because in Muhammad days there was a lot of war, and a lot of women left off from the Muslim men killing their husbands and their sons, therefore Allah allows them to have four wives. But if you go to any scholar interpretation, not my interpretation, not our dear friend Soraya interpretation, but Muslims' cause interpretation, like Ibn Kathir, like Sibari, Sobi, like Jalalain. Do it to you. This is the will of Allah. This is the word of Allah that every Muslim man has the right to have four wives at the time, an unlimited number of concubines and slaves. That's why you see a lot of Muslim people in the Muslim world practice that. Not only that, you're talking about the unfairness of marriage in Islam, that a Muslim man can be married to a little child. Why? Because Muhammad, the noble example, when he was 51 years old, he married to Aisha, and she was six. Yes, he did not have sex with her until she turned nine, which means he was 54 or nine. And that is the Sharia. That is the Islamic law. That a child at birth, I studied this in college in Alexandria, under the, under the uh, Dr. Muhammad from the Azhar University. So these are the top people who taught us that at the birth time, if a mama has a baby and the baby is a girl, she can be married at birth, but the husband cannot have sex with her until she reaches the age of nine. Is this acceptable to you as a moderate Muslim lady, if you think of yourself as a Muslim lady? Shariah? <laughs> I know you have studied everything that's bad in the Quran. I, I agree with you. There are some passages that are not, not, not uh, relevant for today. And 
if you, you know, it all depends on what you feed, brother. If you come to me with all the cherry pick, all the verses of the Quran, me against that, you, you will prevail. Don't worry, I do, I'm not going to debate you. But I want, I invite you to also read the better, the good verses. They are also existing. The fault with us Muslims is that the Middle East has chosen to follow that which is not compatible, that which is not acceptable today. And My I agree, friend, yeah, there are a lot of things Allah's that need to change, but 1.8 billion men are okay. not married full time. Do you believe Allah's word is wrong? The verses of the Quran is not accurate. The Sunnah of Muhammad, how Muhammad lived his life, is not the noble example for every Muslim to follow. I mean, you're making a brand new Islam. That's not no, Islam. No, I'm not. Islam is I'm to not. submit to the Quran. I, I'm not. Let me tell you why. Because of the Hadith, the Sunnah, 90% of which, which is not true and fabricated, and it has the patriarchal society of the Muslim world have been teaching that. And that I vehemently oppose. But you have okay, to take me, a step back let, and let me talk about. Let me okay. Let's talk about the hadith for a second, if you don't mind. Have you ever took the shahada? I am a born Muslim. I don't need to take a shahada. Okay. No, do you ever say the shahada, shahada is for people who convert to Islam? Okay. No, but when you pray, you say Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Yeah, I, I don't take it. You, I recite do it. I don't take it. I don't take okay. it as a declaration you, of my faith. Oh, I recite it. Right. So you are born Muslim and you recite the shahada. Have you ever recited the shahada in your prayers? What? Have you ever recited the shahada in your prayers? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you show me where in the Quran can we find the shahada? Uh, it is not in the Quran. Where can we find it? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, just, I'm not a theologian. In the hadith. Okay, it is in the hadith. The hadith, which you said 90% of it is not true. How about, how many times do you pray as a Muslim believer? How many times do you pray every day? Muslims are required to pray five times a day. Five times a day. Can you show me anywhere in the Quran that a Muslim man or woman pray five times a day? It doesn't say. Okay, you know what can we find about the five daily prayers? You know, brother, if you are going to sit there and find fault, no, 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 I'm just, I'm I, just, I want to, no, 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 just let me tell you this. You, you, the, no, you, you, reject, you reject the hadith, my, my dear friend, you reject the hadith, and everything, okay, everything about Islam is in the hadith, it's not in the Quran. As a matter of fact, how do you pray is not in the Quran. Okay, not everything. So you cannot, you cannot say ninety percent or ninety-five percent of the hadith is not true. I'm not even talking about the hadith. I never mentioned the hadith today, except I say you have to submit to it. But if we talk about polygamy, for example, and you are fighting for women, you should fight for women by taking them out of the cult of Islam, not by changing Islam to make them believe in Islam is not Islam. Can ladies who became a Muslim, they became a Muslim because they never learned anything about women in Islam? They teach women in America that women are equal to men. Can you find me a verse in the Quran? Forget about the hadith. I don't, I don't want to talk about the hadith. You don't like the hadith, I understand that, you know, you have your freedom to say whatever you want. Where in the Quran we see a man and woman are equal? Oh, there are a lot of, lot of surahs in the, in the Quran. Lots there of surahs. Are women, about, oh, absolutely. Me, where women are referred verse? to as, uh, women are referred to as garments. 
uh, we may not refer to as garments. And it, the, if you okay. go deep so, into the meaning so of the Quran, that, the Quran, you're not letting so me talk. Quran you're asking a question. So, you're giving your answer. Sure. You're giving your interpretation. Sam, go ahead. Go ahead. Your, go ahead. Sir. Go yeah. ahead. No, that's okay. You go ahead. Because you, I, 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 I'm assuming you have a philosophy or a, a theological background in Islam, or have you just read excerpts? I don't know. But, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie and tell you. I'm not going to lie and tell you I do not know too much about Islam like you have said. And I appreciate your honesty that you're not here to pretend to be a scholar or you know Islam, you know the Quran. I've been studying Islam now for over 44 years, 44 years, all my life. And I learned it from Muslim scholars but not Muslim scholar of uh, some country who does not even speak the Arabic language. I'm talking about the Muslim scholar of the Azhar University. I'm talking about Muhammad teaching himself and Ibn Kathir, Tabari, Qurtubi Jalain, Ibn Taymina, and all these wonderful Muslims. So I know the real Islam. I do not know what Islam do you know, but that's okay. That's okay. When the Quran said men are in charge of women, that make it what? Man is in charge of women, does that mean men and women are equal? Uh, there, are, there are some passages which says man is in charge. There are some passages in the Bible which says man is in charge. But there are also passages that says they are equal. So, brother, okay. it depends which passage you choose to concentrate, study, debate, and do a PhD on. I, I choose to okay. go in the passage that I was taught. I'm a moderate Muslim. I was born in Sri Lanka, raised in a, in a multi-ethnic community. And religion did not... Muslim, may I finish? Is... Religion was not the Sama, law of the let, land. Let her finish up, Sama. Sure, sure. Go ahead, Soraya. Yeah, so, Please. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. There are two sides to this coin. There are some violent passages, and I'm very, uh, very sad and humbly I acknowledge that. But there are also some great passages, like in the Bible, like in the Torah, what... There is nothing so different about Islam, but it's just that mm. we have not addressed those, uh, and there is extreme violence that is taking place, and that has to be condemned. I, I, I unequivocally support that call. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you, know the between Mekki, do you know the difference between Mekki verses and Medini verses? And what do you know about the doctrine of abrogation? I didn't think I'm taking a test with you. I know Meccan, Meccan verses and I know Medina verses. I know there's okay, more which, violence where it's coming from. Me, okay, I me, mean, I, me I don't know. I'm okay. really, I regret to be at this on this because I did no, not no, agree no, to... No, uh, no, 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 I'm happy to have you here. God is my witness. I'm joyful to have a smart, uh, liberal, uh, free woman to speak on, on the behalf of Islam. So don't, don't regret it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Medina versus I said to be more violent. Yes, absolutely. We agree no, with that. But what, so what, what, you, I'm teach, what I'm trying to share is this. What I'm sharing is this. There are lots of verses in the Quran, as you said, are good verses, soft verses. There's not a verse, by the way, in the entire Quran, teach to love uh, some Jews or to love some Christians or men to love their wives. Or th- th- These verses does not exist. But they're soft verses. Uh, like to you, your religion, and to me, my religion, or no compulsion in religion, or, you know, soft verses. Now, all these are, we call, Mecca verses or early Medini verses. These are the verses which Muhammad wrote or claimed to receive from Allah in the early days of Islam. Okay, that's before he moved to Medina, in the first 13 years or so. Abrogate these verses. If you go to Quran chapter 2 and verse 106, Allah said, Whatever verse we abrogate or cause it to be forgotten, we bring a better verse than it or like it. So abrogation is Allah, uh, in a similar word, Allah changed his mind. Ibn Kathir said, 
uh, interpreted that word abrogation to say the removal of a verse or the change of a verse by another newer verse. And that is where we have the problem. Because all the new verses which Allah gave to Muhammad, according to Muslim scholars belief, all the new verses are violent verses. Teach jihad, 29 verses. Teaching war, 79 verses. Teach killing, teaching raping, teaching all the wicked and evil things. Understand that these verses by Muslim scholars is the new verses and Muslims are commanded to believe in it and practice it. So if you say there are good verses in the Quran, yes, I wish we can live by the old verses of the Quran. But Allah has removed those verses, changed his mind, and you as a Muslim, a submitter to Allah, you have to live by the new verses, not by the old verses. So this is a problem. And I, I wish and I hope and I pray that you will study Islam. I know you said you are not theologian, and you know what? Not everybody is theologian. There's a lot of Christians who do not know too much about Christianity either. So, learn the truth about Islam, learn about the final word of Allah, the Medini verses which abrogated, cancelled, or erased, or these early verses. So you will not be deceived believing in the good verses. But in reality, all these good verses have been wiped out. So Islam is not the old Mecca verses when Muhammad was living alone in the city of Mecca without hardly any followers. But Islam is the final verses, the final commands of Allah, the Medini verses, which is violence. So, and I wish the whole Muslim world would reject the violent verses of the Quran, but you can't, because that is the final word of Allah. Go ahead, sister. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, so, 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 unlike, the, un, I, unlike, uh, unlike Constantine, we did have a council of Naisai where we rewrote the, the, our scripture. Uh, and let us hope we will rewrite our scripture. So uh, that's where the Muslim okay. world is. Do you know anything about the Catholic well, I'm gonna, Catholic I, I would like to make a point here, Osama and Soroy. I want to make a point because you, you talk about the good verses in the Quran versus the bad ones. Uh, unlike Islam, uh, we look at the entire Bible. We look at it, as you say, contextually. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to go out and slay the Jews or slay the Muslims. It doesn't tell us to do that. Throughout the entire Bible, when God sends someone out into war it is for a specific purpose it is narrowly defined it is not as if we take an entire group of people and say we must slaughter them all which that is in the quran and we look at the bible we look at the bible as a whole we don't separate any of the scriptures at all we don't separate we don't separate the old testament from the new testament and i had uh had an imam turn around and tell me Quran says that you can be friends with the Jews and Christians. And he only quotes the first part of the passage, which is, I believe, 265. Uh, do I have that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it reads, indeed, those who believe and those who are Jews and Christians, that we believe in Allah, and saying that basically we can be friends with the Christians and Jews. He leaves left out a very important part of that passage, where it states before the prophet Muhammad, meaning before Muhammad was born, it's okay if you were friends with the Christians and Jews, but once Muhammad came into existence and created Islam, you no longer can be friends with them. Uh, but this is the Quran that you are defending, which I find uh, rather difficult because you, you sound like a very wonderful and beautiful lady, very intelligent, but you're defending a religion that I find uh, promotes violence where you, you want to bring peace to a group of people. So rather than staying in Islam, why don't you create a new religion or join another religion that is more in line with your beliefs? That's my question to you. Well, the question is well taken. 
the Quran was revealed at a time when there were contentious relationships between Jews and Muslims. And therefore, that revelation was given. I'm not supporting it one bit. And those of us who were raised in uh, South Asian countries, we were not taught to hate a Jew. But in the Middle East, absolutely. What I hear is, well, let me speak from what I hear. That is not exactly that. Because truth is only what you experience. So my truth is different from your truth. So there is, as in federals, and that they need to be um, uh, killed and, you know, stones thrown. That's not right. I agree with yeah. you. That's I agree with you. But, but all, all 1.8 billion Muslims are not doing that. There are a few okay. extremists who are teaching this. So what the point here is that Islam, uh, just because there's a scripture that was revealed 1,400 years ago, everybody is not following every letter, everything to the letter and to the T. That's why we are calling for to, re, to reinterpreting those and, and to, give, to really uh, uh, deconstruct this. this is, uh, that is a call okay. the reformers are making. Sure. Let me okay. Let me let me let me give you a couple of verses, and I want you to reinterpret them for me, if you don't mind. And I'm not saying this in any way, but in love. If I go to the Quran, chapter two and verse uh, chapter five and verse fifty-one. Okay, Allah said, "O you who have believed," so he obviously is not talking to extremists; he's talking to believers. "O you who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as friends, friends to one another." Okay, now. How do you like to interpret this in the year 2018? Yeah, that, that, I told you, brother, that was the, in the context. In 1,400 years ago, it has no relevance today. And I don't think 1.8 billion Muslims are okay. doing that. My, okay. my closest friends are my Jewish friends. If, if not okay, for the Jewish community, my voice because, would be stifled. Because, so because so you, we can't continue because, to cherry-pick these bad verses. And then, okay. because the, and then continue to say whitewash whole of Islam. I'm not. I'm not going to stand for that because I'm a Muslim, uh, and I'm not so, saying but, my faith religion is perfect. Say, I'm not saying that say, Islam is perfect. Islam is a set we, of ideas, and Muslims need okay. to reinterpret it to suit us in the Western world, in the world so, today. So, in your opinion, should we remove that verse from the Quran? Quran five fifty one which orders the Muslim believers never to take the Jews and Christian for As a matter of fact, if you read the, at the end of the verse, and whoever among you takes them for a friend, become one of them. Surely Allah will not guide the unjust to be one. Every zalim, every unjust will burn in hell. So for you to take a Jew or a Christian for friends, you will burn in hell. Not my word, Allah's word. Quran 5.51. How about this verse? How about this verse? Forget about friendship. Quran 47, verse 4. When you meet those who became infidel, strike the next. Until you have made a great slaughter among them. That verse teach Muslims when you meet. I know some translation will add the word in battle. It does Yeah, in battle. Okay. We're going to add a word to the Quran. Even though in Islam, you cannot add a word. If you meet a people in war. Who said people? you cannot add, brother? We have the... Just stop there. Who said we cannot add? We have the concept of Ijitihad. That means we have a right to reinterpret it. <laughs> and it is the... No. It is the... It is the patriarchal... Okay. The word, of course. Well, I mean, Ijitihad took place. Ijitihad is the reinterpretation of the of, of texture that uh, that okay. that needs to change. That does not save the people. If you are in Egypt, if you are in Syria, if you are in Iraq, if you are in Iran, if you are in Afghanistan, if you are in Saudi Arabia, if you are in Morocco, if you are in Libya, I can quote, give you literally 
50 countries in the Muslim world, and you add a word to the Quran, they will cut your head off. They will cut your head off. But that's okay. We're not going to talk about that. No, no. I am not, I, don't, equate, don't equate Islam with, with the Middle East rulers. Because I will not equate Christianity with the, with the, during the time of the, uh, the, the Crusades. So let no, us get you know very what? clear on you're this. Saying, you're saying something very good. You're saying something very good. We're not going to judge Islam by what Muslims do, but what, by what is written in the Quran. As we're not going to judge Christianity by what Christians do, but we're going to judge Christianity by what is written in the Bible. New Testament, of course, for Christians. Now, so here's the question. Every time I'm going to read a verse from the Quran, you're going to reject. But in the same time, you don't like the Muslims who practice the teaching of the Quran. How can I get to you to understand that Islam is not what you or I think of, but Islam is the word of Allah in the Quran, and you have to obey it with every letter of it. You cannot say, this is a, a hateful verse. I don't like it. I, 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 I would love to do the same in the Bible. Do you know why? Because the Bible, sometimes you see verses where Jesus says, love your enemies. To be honest with you, I don't like my enemies. I don't like to love them. I mean, can you imagine a man killing my, my father to take my mama to rape her, to raise Muslim baby out of her? You think you like that man? Every time you look at his face, he's smiling at you, or he even raped you as the daughter of the mama. What Christian to live with the teachings of the New Testament when Jesus says, love your enemies? It is hard to love your enemy. But guess what? As a Christian, I must love my enemy. I have no choice. Why? Because that's the command of the Bible to me as a Christian. Now, as a Muslim, Allah taught your husband as a Muslim man, or your brother as a Muslim man, or your son as a Muslim man, to kill the Christians. And take their wives and daughter to raise them to raise Muslim baby. And that's exactly what happened in your own country where you come from. But you do not know that. You may think when they went to Asia, they fall in love with the Asian. And the Asian fall in love with the Quran. And they learned the Arabic Quran and they became good Muslims. That's not true. The largest Muslim country in Asia is Indonesia. 210 million Muslims there. I've been there twice. They do not know the right hand from their left hand. They are as good Muslim as you are today. They reject everything in the Quran. But if you study the history of how Islam went to every and each, each and every one of the 57 Muslim countries, you will see it is by killing the men, raping the wives. That's how Islam started. You're not going to fix it today. I'm sorry. The, belligium, the, the, the marriage to four wives or the unlimited number of concubines and slaves, it is the history of Islam. It is the word of Allah in the Quran. And it's the history of Islam the last 400 years. We're not going to change it to a day in America 2018. It's too late to fix it. The best is to expose it and get out of it, not to change it. You cannot fix Allah's word, the Quran, and you cannot change the history of the millions of Christians who slaughtered all over the Muslim world, and now their children and their great, great, great grandchildren are the Muslim generation. You cannot fix that. Especially if I go to any of these Muslim countries and tell people about freedom, which you talk about, I believe, as a moderate Muslim lady, you want people to have freedom. And I tell the Muslim of Egypt or the Muslim of Saudi Arabia or the Muslim of any of these countries, become a Christian, have freedom to do whatever you want. And the moment a man or a woman leave Islam, they kill them. Why? Because that is the teaching of the Quran. Do not kill the soul, which Allah forbid except for just cause. And what is just cause? Muhammad taught in the Hadith, and Muslim scholars agree, that the blood of the Muslim cannot be shed except in three cases. Murder is a Muslim kill a Muslim. Adultery, if a woman commits adultery, or apostasy, if a Muslim leaves Islam. So the moment you leave Islam, you're killed. 
But at the same time, you want to create brand new Islam, a loving, peaceful Islam where women are free and women can only have one husband and maybe a woman can divorce her husband. You can't do that because only husband can divorce the wife and the wife cannot divorce the husband. Go ahead, sister. Soroya, Soroya, I'm going to ask you a question because I've had Dr. Zudi Jasser on the show. We've asked the same questions. These are hard questions. They're not easy. And, you know, for us to try to understand where you're coming from, we're we're two different worlds that are are colliding here within the United States. Uh, But uh, the World Net Daily did a poll a number of years back, and they polled American Muslims. And this is what they they have come up with. Nearly half of those that they polled believe parodies of Muhammad should be prosecuted criminally. Now, just think back a couple of years ago, uh, Loretta Lynch tried to have the Department of Justice do exactly that. Uh, another thing that came up with, 46% of those Muslim Americans uh, polled said they believe that Americans who offer criticisms or parody of Islam should face criminal charges. Even more shocking, one in eight respondents think that those who criticize or parody Islam should face the death penalty, while another 9% said they were unsure about the question. Four in 10 of these Muslims in America should not be judged by U.S. law, but by Sharia law, a much separate uh, court. And a smaller percentage think that the U.S. should abolish an entirely separate court system to adjudicate matters involving Muslims. While the respondents overwhelmingly leaned democratic, they also have a fundamental conflict with American life, expressing ad- objections to freedom of speech and religion guaranteed in the Constitution. Uh, these are, are shocking numbers. These are American Muslims. These are not those that come from the Far East or the Middle East. Does this disturb you? So, I mean, let me be very clear here and the power to question is the basis of all human progress. There are millions of Muslims who think like me. And the research you read, it, I don't know whether it's for the... It's, uh, when, we can, when we bring together this kind of research, we had to always find out who was polled, who was left out. So if, if, let's, let's say a good, uh, good uh, cross-section was polled. It's appalling. So I condemn it unequivocally. There should be satire. There should be our ability to question every religion should be a, a, a human right. Uh, and going back to what uh, the pastor said, there was a study done in 2016, and it is reported in the Independent. It was done by a Judeo-Christian software engineer. Who, uh, they, he analyzed whether the Quran is more violent than the Bible and found killing and destruction occur more frequently in the Christian text than the Islamic text. Now, for me, if somebody told that, I never went open the Bible. Let me finish. Let me finish, please. When you, I, no, no. When, you make a statement, when you make a statement like this, are you going to support it or are you just going to say it yeah, and go with Yeah, I supported you. And in the Independent, in 2016, okay. a study was and, done by okay. this particular if, person. If, if, you, so if you're going to say that, if you're going to say that Christianity have violence, would you please share Samuel Osborne, may I finish, sir? May I finish? I let you say sure, everything sure. you wanted to say, more than everything but I, I wanted supported, to say. But so I what I'm trying to tell you is, what I'm trying to tell you is, I'm not coming... When this was presented to me, I didn't go take this Bible, sit and say, read all the violent passages. That does not interest me. I'm a spiritual activist. But we feed on the longest becomes the strongest. The more you beat the drum of what you're saying, sir, it will become a reality. Let us work together to correct this. That is where that's the space I'm coming from. And I've admitted to you, I don't say Islam is perfect. We have a lot of things to change. 
I don't say Muslims are uh, perfect. We have a lot of transformation in the way we think and the way we behave. We need that. We have a lot of work to do. So I don't come from a place where I sat and read the Bible and cherry-picked all the violent verses. That, that is negative energy, and I'm not, I'm not going to invest well, my then, time then, and then my energy respect, there. Then with all respect, so, so what I'm trying to tell you is it depends. It depends, person, maybe I finish, sir. It depends who, whom you listen to, what your sources well, are. No, 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 no. If uh, you're opening you your Bible right relevant. now and share, look, go online right now, go on your line, go on computer, and look for violent verses in the New Testament. Go. You'll find all the violent verses. Share them with me, please. Share one. I'm not asking to share all of them. Pick up one verse which teach violence in the New Testament, and I would love to hear it. Because you cannot come on a show like that and say, well, there are more violent verses in the New Testament. That is a lie from the bottom of hell. And no, I, I didn't say you. you. It's the Old Testament. You, you are not listening because you are busy wanting to attack me. You're not listening. I said the Old Testament. I never said new. Okay. And I told you, we have not had the okay. luxury of reformation yet. We have not okay. had that. Go ahead. Go ahead. We don't, we don't have several versions. Like... We don't have King Man. James, King Smith. Uh, I don't know all the verses, ver- versions that you, you, the Christians have. And, and, and I admire you for that. You are willing to no. come Thank together, you. You, study, but... understand, okay. and, and rewrite okay. uh, your text. We have not done that. Sure. Go... Go ahead. Uh, Soraya, as, as a Christian. Soraya, as, as a Christian, there is absolutely zero violence in the New Testament. If anything, it is complete love. The only violence that occurs is the, the murder of the apostles. And, and it is done all, against Christianity, respect, not with, by Christianity. And my, my there is no violence in the Old Testament either. There is justice in the, in the Old Testament. And I would like to answer that exactly. point later after she finishes the talk, please. Go ahead. Let her finish her talk first. All right, Soraya, go ahead. I just, I just read you the source. I have not gone and cherry-picked every word, which I, which I might now have to do. But that, that, that was that software engineer who put together the study. I just quoted him. Okay. Well, you know what? Let me, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, it has nothing to do with the Bible. And perhaps from it you can figure out what I'm trying to say here. If you imagine with me, can you use your imagination, a cop, a policeman, is following a car trying to stop the driver, trying to stop the driver. And that driver was doing everything wrong. So the speed limit on the street is 25 miles an hour, and the, the driver of that car was going roughly around 80 miles an hour. Not 25, but 80. And he was killing people under his car right and left, right and left. He killed 20, 30 people. And that man was about to turn on, say, Main Street. Main Street is a busy, busy street. And then the policeman made the decision to get his gun out and shoot that driver and kill him. So he killed him. Now, when that policeman stands up before the judge, you know what the judge will call him? The judge will call him a hero. Why? Because he stopped a criminal from continuing to drive his car in a very bad speed, very high speed, killing innocent people right and left. That is the killing of the Old Testament. That is the killing of the Old Testament. Now, if we go to the Quran and study about the killing of the Quran, Allah did not order Muhammad to kill the bad people in the, in the, in the Quran. Actually, Allah asked Muhammad to kill the Christians simply because they believe Jesus is God, because that makes them infidels. To kill the Jews simply because they rejected to believe in Muhammad. So the difference between the killing in the Old Testament and the killing in the Quran is that. 
in the Quran is a justifiable killing. God was punishing people for their sins, as you see it even in the Noah flood, as you see it in the, in the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah, as you see it when God asked the children of Israel to wipe out the Amorites, the people who lived in the promised land, because their sin was in fall. They were so wicked people. They were actually burning their own children, babies, to offer as a worship, as a sacrifice to the God Baal and many other gods. That is the killing in the Old Testament. But in the Quran, Allah was literally asking Muslims to kill the Christians. It's like a cop killing a, a man who's driving a car, going with the speed limit, who stops in every stop sign, who stops at the red light, he's doing everything by the law, and the cop choose to get his gun out and shoot the guy anyway. Even he didn't do anything wrong. And when that cop stands up before the judge, the judge will find him guilty and they will require his blood. That cop must die. That is the difference between the killing of the Old Testament, which Muslims love to talk about, and the killing of the Quran. Allah did not order Muhammad to kill the evil people, but to kill the Christian people and the Jewish people. But in the Quran, God asked Moses, I mean, in the Bible, Old Testament, and it's the same as the Quran as well, by the way. God asked Moses and the children of Israel to kill the evil people, as God himself killed the people in Noah's flood and in the Sodom and Gomorrah fire. This is a quick answer for the question about killing in the Old Testament when you compare it to killing in the Quran. Brother, as, as a person of, uh, uh, of uh, a, a religious teacher, as clergy, I think you should refrain from making such for instance, in the Quran it says a Muslim man can marry a Christian woman and a Jewish woman. Does it mean he takes the gun and kills his mother-in-law and his father-in-law and his brother-in-law and his sister-in-law, no, no, aunt, no, uncle okay, and niece? Okay. No. So yeah, these very are, very well. you can go where you are going with what you are going. There will be people who will listen to you. But I'm not okay, going there. Now, let's, be, let's very, be very clear let's, on this because I sure, believe sure. in love. Man, yes, I believe in the love right, that Jesus... Uh, let me finish, mm. brother. Let me finish. Mm. Don't you have a respect for a woman who is speaking? You don't have to be... No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, let me not get there. Stick okay? with this point. Okay. I, if you stick let with me this finish. point, you can talk as Respect a woman who is speaking because I listen to you. That is the basic. So I, I follow the love that Jesus Christ taught. Yes. So I am not going there. You can go there. And I, I, I only vocally said, yeah, there are some violent passages that need to go, that need to be changed. And I've also said... 1.8 billion Muslims are not practicing every little thing of that. If, I, if, okay. if, if my Quran says I, my brother can marry a Jew, I am not going to, or my brother who is a Muslim is not going to kill the wife or the mother of yeah. the wife. So these are, mm -hmm. these are good passages to take and, and not, you know, there's a rule called justem generis, where this meaning okay. comes from the earlier passage. So we have to follow yes. some well, rules of interpretation. If sure. we don't sure. do that, sure. we can't okay, be credible. That's why I don't go to right. uh, guys, the Bible guys, or the we're, we're, we're down to our last few minutes here. We're down before, to our last few before, minutes. This has been a very before, lively conversation. A lot has been exchanged. Zoroya, thank you for joining us. And I, I wish you luck, but I, I don't see how you could reform Islam without actually changing it. But I wish you well on that. Usama, thank you for joining us also. You have a radio show yourself that is on Saturday, correct? Yes, ma'am. Before yes. I go, I'd like and to tell my dear sister, thank you so much for allowing me to spend this time with you. And it was very neat. And I would love for you to get in touch with me if you can have my number from the studio or I can give you my number right now. And I would like to continue to talk with you. But you have to understand, yes, the Quran teaches it's okay for a Muslim man to marry a Jewish or a Christian lady. 
that is to take over their life. But in the same time, the Quran never taught the Muslim woman to be married to a Christian man or a Jewish man. And that is the difference. They are invading the Christian world and the Muslim world by marrying their daughters, but they will never, never allow a Christian man or a Jewish man or an atheist man to touch a Muslim woman, not just to marry her. So it is not actually what you think. It's, it looks nice that a Muslim man can marry a Christian lady, but it will look even better if a Christian man can marry a Muslim lady, and that is not acceptable according to the word of Allah in the Quran or the Sharia. But anyway, thank you so much. My number is Let 941. Us, uh, may I have a closing statement? Well, Usama, I'll, never, I'll send it over never. to her. Let us never fail to my, see I'll the speck in our eye and just see the dust in the other. Uh, and I, sure. I, I would like to come back on the show with, uh, again and again, and let's talk this out. Oh, um, oh sorry. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having we, we, me. We, we, we would love that. As a matter of fact, uh, the, um, the uh, chat room is very enthusiastic, and they're asking us Southern fans <laughs> uh, to invite you back. So, sure. Yeah. And, and I have a group of Muslim women. We, do, we speak. We go to churches. We take these questions. And we don't have the answer all the time. There are sometimes we don't we don't know, but we want to hear from you because what good is it for me to be for me to beat my drum if I don't hear to dance to your music? So please have us back, and uh, if there are people who are listening yeah. who want the women yeah. to come for an event in their church or in a community event, I will come with three four women. See the diversity in my faith. I don't even know what my fellow sister believes who comes from Afghanistan. I'm from Sri Lanka, but I'm American. It's so blessed to live in this country. Uh, thank you so much. You yeah, and Yusama so have been fantastic. Thank you, Yusama. Uh, and yes, Yusama has a radio show as well. Yeah, Yusama, tell us where that is. It is Saturday night. Uh, you can join us on the same uh, uh, station here. Same number if you call this number. It's Revealing the Truth About Islam. Uh, 9 to 11 every Saturday night, 9 to 11 Eastern Time. But I want to give my dear sister before she leaves my telephone number, if you don't mind. 941. Uh, she, she's already dropped out. Usama, she already dropped oh, out. So what I'll do is I'll send her your phone number. I'll give Please. her your contact. I'll be Thank happy so to do much. that Appreciate for you. It. God bless you. Bye-bye now. All right. Look, and by the way, I'm God looking, looking forward to coming back to talk with her or anybody else for the future. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Oh, man. What, what a fantastic Cal, I love having him on. And, and the funny thing oh is, is if I ever gosh. have to text him something or ask a question, he's always right there on the phone. What a fantastic gentleman. What a fantastic friend and Christian. Uh, God bless him for all the hard work he does. Uh, anyway, Cal, uh, I extended the show a few minutes because it was just getting so contentious and so good. Uh, but that's all we got for today. And thank you, everyone, for hanging out in the um, – in the chat room, uh, Kel, we're going to be back here Tuesday, and we've got Judge Janine Pirro. Uh, we're going to be talking. Oh to my her gosh! Her. You got Judge Janine. <laughs> and we've got a new musician, Scott Barrier. He's got some great songs out, so we've got a great show oh, coming up I've Tuesday. Heard of him. Back with us. I came yeah, across him uh, via so, YouTube. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. yeah so oh, we've got Annie, some great shows, man. Well, oh, this man. is why I, don't know I what hang out with the, uh, the, the cool people. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I've got to go hit the showers in a few minutes because uh, we've got Katie Arrington, who I expect to be our next congresswoman here in South Carolina. She's got a meet and greet that I've got to go over to. Uh, she is out of the wheelchair. She's now on a walker, uh, which is a great thing. Oh, that's great, great to hear. Uh, she's, yeah. She is. She yeah. is fighting. She is fighting like a wahek. Um 
So if anyone, go to uh, votekatiearrington.com and donate to her campaign because the Democrats here are out on a whole hog uh, fundraiser. So we need to do an equal fundraiser and push Katie into Congress. Anyway, that's what we got for today. And, Kel, do you have a show going on tonight or over the weekend? Um, uh, tonight I am uh, joining R.C., on a speaker, and uh, his show is called Ideas Are Bulletproof. I'm one of the panelists over there. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have the RFB show, and of course, I am IAW um, Tuesday nights over there, courtesy of Global Patriot Radio. Annie, it has just been such a fantastic show. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish that I could have reached through the computer and give you a huge bouquet of flowers. What a fantastic show you had once again. I love you. Oh, man. It, it's been a lot of fun. Kel, thank you for sitting in for uh, for Curtis on this one. I just want to remind everyone, go to my webpage. It's the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southerndaresense.com. Also, check out the earth water. Go over there. Buy yourself a case of it. Mm. Uh just click on it, go in and shop, and get yourself. You'll be amazed what it, what it make you feel, make you feel better, more energy. I actually dropped two of my medications, so check out Earthwater on my website. I'm, uh, I'm serving it at my next photo shoot, Annie. I'm serving uh, four oh, cases. Oh, great. Cool, Mike. Did you buy it through my webpage. <laughs> hey, Annie, you know buy, that. You, you know that. Yeah, know maybe we'll that. say, hey, Annie, just like old times, hey, you're listening to Southern Sense with the chicks in the bikinis. Uh, anyway, chicks in the bikini. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, make sure that when you go and buy the four cases of the Earth Water, make sure you sign up as an affiliate so that way you get it directly and you get it at the wholesale price so people can then buy it directly from you. So check that out. Will do. Anyway, uh, I will leave you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. yonder. <laughs> Until then, I say good night and God bless. Love you both. Love you both. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.